back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant and Father David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers stand together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they looked for meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field to own and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. This is the word of the Lord. Okay, well, good morning, church. Uh, my name is Doug. I'm one of the pastors here at Lord's Love. If I haven't yet met you, uh, I would love to have the privilege to have a conversation uh, after service today. Uh, we are continuing in our series called The Book of Acts, Gospel in Motion, and I'm not sure how many weeks it has been, maybe at least eight or so. Uh, we're going to be in this series all the way till June, so we're going to be in this for a little uh, while yet. And I hope it's been good for you, and I know it's been challenging for me. Today, the topic I want to speak on uh, from this passage is what does boldness look like? What does it mean to live boldly? What does it mean to live with faith? And I want to share a quick story to start here about this uh, mountaineer, uh, this Nepali mountaineer named Nimse Purja. He embarks on this seemingly impossible quest to summit all 14 of the world's 8,000 meter peaks in seven months. Uh, which are all located in South Asia. And the previous record, even though he wants to do it in seven months, the previous record was seven years. Wow. So he named this expedition and challenge project possible, as you see on his jacket there. And you can see this on a documentary, 14 Peaks, uh, on Netflix, uh, 14 Peaks, Nothing is Impossible. This is what, what I watch after Jess goes to sleep. I turn on uh, <laughs> uh, these things where Jess like, yeah, you can watch that on your, on your own. Uh, and this is what I, I, I was watching. I was amazed at this, uh, amazed at this story. And on April 23rd, 2019, he summited the first mountain. And he was behind schedule, apparently, because the previous record was seven months. He's trying to do the impossible. He's behind schedule. So at one point, he decides to summit the three neighboring 8,000-meter uh, mountains, which, are, which include Lakalu, uh, Lhotse, and, all, of course, Everest. And this is called the triple header. The triple header, climb all three, and it usually takes to climb Everest alone two months for people to go in, set up camp, get ready, and to climb the mountain. 
And so he wanted to climb Everest, so it'll take you two months. And he climbs all three in 48 hours. Whoa. Climbs all three in 48 hours. And he famously took this picture, which ended up being on Time Magazine. The weight that goes up the Everest, he was calling it tourism. He was like, this isn't mountaineering anymore, this is tourism. Where people are dying on the side, waiting to climb uh, the summit of Everest. And this intense focus of determination and energy, Anins is able, he climbs all 14 of them in six months and six days. Six months and six days. And this is to note, he is just a regular guy, kind of, uh, except he's a Gurkha, which is a soldier from Nepal that was recruited into the British Army, so he's part of the elite forces. Then he's, being, then he's recruited to the Royal Navy Special Boat Service, which is an elite uh, British unit served, and he's focused on cold weather warfare. That was his specialty. Uh, other than that, he's just a regular guy, uh, just like me and you. Uh, but there's a reason why Nimsday Purja, uh, why he wanted to do what he does, and I quote from the documentary, he says this, the Sherpa guy, uh, which are the guys that take people up to Everest uh, from Nepal, the Sherpa guy had been making the impossible possible for years, though for the most part their work was rarely celebrated. This disparity in respect, uh, using his words, pissed me off. <laughs> so I wanted to highlight the skills of the Nepal's, of Nepal's climbers. That was his reason. He was re re representing the Nepalese community of climbers. That's what challenged him and pushed him to go forth and do this amazing feat. He turned to this other reason to give him strength, this other reason that drove him to do what he did. This morning, I want to ask you this question. What drives you? What drives you? What gives you strength? Why do you do what you do? And this morning, as you come to this place, I'm not sure what kind of week or month or year you've had so far, you might need boldness just to have even woken up this morning and to come into this place. You might need that boldness to take care of your kid or your kids or to go to work or for your marriage, that relationship or wisdom for school to do that assignment or the future, which is so unknown for you at this moment. What do you need strength for? What is that boldness that you're seeking? And for the Christian this morning, for us that follow Jesus and understand who this God is, boldness, and as we see in this text, is turning to God. Boldness is turning to God. Turning to God leads to this boldness. For us, as we follow the word, as we believe in this Jesus, as we live out this life for him, turning to God leads to this boldness. And we see here the early church that they have this prayer, they prayed a lot, and that's because prayer is this focused power. This focused power. True prayer is not telling God what to do, but asking God to do His will in us, and to focus in on what He is doing, to understand Him. And as one Bible commentator puts it, prayer is about getting God's will done on earth, not man's will done in heaven. It's about following God. It's about turning to God for His boldness. Or as another pastor uh, in the 1800s, I put it, uh, do not pray for easy lives. Instead, pray to be stronger men and women. Do not pray for tasks equal to your powers. Pray for powers equal to your task. That for us, even though you might be facing an impossible task, you might be facing challenges beyond anyone else could possibly understand, our call today is to simply turn to God. Turn to God for this boldness, because that's how and what the early church did. That's how they lived. That's how they exploded and became the church that we know of today. 
uh, the billions of Christians that are around the globe today, the ones that have lived before us and the ones that will come after us. See, we left off in the passage last week uh, where Peter and John are under trial. Uh, this came back from the trenches as you were, as they were before the Sanhedrin, uh, the council, uh, before trial, explaining how that layman who had that injury from birth was able to be healed and how he's able to come back. And the first thing the church did was pray, was come together and pray. And we're going to see in today's passage, there are three sections here. There's the theological support for prayer, why they pray to begin with. There's the current request coming out of that understanding. Uh, and then there's God receiving the prayer. That's what we see at the end of verse 31. And this, as we've been going through the gospel, uh, the book of Acts, we see how this is the second example of corporate prayer. The first one is, is selecting the 12th apostle. And then there's the community prayer in Acts 2.42. And we see how the prayers here today aren't so much for the individual, though that's included. Not so much for individual personal needs, but for the needs of the community as a whole. They call on God to support them with spiritual provision for that mission, for that boldness to do what they're called to do. And we'll see how the prayers, it's not just for the person alone, for everyone in that community, collectively together. Turning to God leads to this boldness that we're about to see throughout the rest of Acts. Now, boldness, boldness to do what? Boldness maybe to step out into the unknown, into what they do not know. Boldness to overcome that fear that they had and that fear that you have. Boldness to break through barriers. Boldness to speak up and to stand firm. Boldness to say no to something or maybe boldness to say yes to something. This boldness transcends all situations and contexts and speaks to your scenario today. Boldness to make that difficult choice to do the hard things, and maybe it's boldness to accept our own flaws and our own brokenness and our own mistakes, but also boldness to use our own strengths, the boldness that God, uh, the, the strengths that God has given us. Now, don't hear me wrong. We're not talking about a natural kind of boldness this morning, all right? It's not a natural boldness, but a spiritual boldness, and there's a difference. Natural boldness has to do with ourselves, what we can do, uh, what we can that we can do, maybe the education that we have, the skills that we got. Uh, this kind of boldness depends on our own abilities. And that's not what we're talking about today. We're talking about a spiritual boldness, which is significantly different. And we know that we see spiritual boldness because it has nothing to do with ourselves. It has nothing to do with us. As in, the benefit really doesn't have to do with us, but the people around us and the situations around us. This is a boldness that has to do with giving God glory, expanding his kingdom, and being part of what God is doing here in Vancouver. And prayer is a big part of that boldness because prayer, again, is turning to God. It's turning to him for help, for power, for strength, and turning to God leads to salvation. And why does turning to God lead to this boldness? Well, turning to God leads to boldness because turning to God, it reminds us reminds us of his character. Knowing and holding onto God's character gives us boldness in your situation, in your everyday. We read this in verse 23. On the release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. 
everything. And isn't this true in other parts of life that the character or uh, what you know of that person matters and is important? You become more confident in that person when you know that that person, what that person is made out of, right? What their character is like, what, what, they're, uh, what they are confident in. I know that to be true when you go to the dentist, right? You sure hope you know, they know they're confident in what they do. Oh, is this the drill? Like, you know, that, that would have made you feel uh, so confident. Or the doctor or the person giving you that vaccine shot, right? Uh, or the real estate agent, your pastor, uh, the car mechanic, someone who's renovating your house, whatever it is, you want that hint of confidence, what their character is and what they're made up of. It's the same for us of what we know about God. Why we turn to him because there's no one better to trust than God. There's no one better to trust than God. And here's why we see the character of God shown in two ways here. We see here in this passage that God is sovereign over all things. That God is sovereign over all things. They address God as sovereign Lord, meaning he is a God who is in control. He's a God that's in control. He knows what's going on. Nothing surprises him. The word for sovereign here means a ruler who exercises absolute control. And interestingly, this word could be good, could be used in a good way or a bad way. But here in this context, we know that God is sovereign in a good way because God, he knows what's best. He knows what's best for you and what's best for me. And he is sovereign over all things. There's no part of the universe that God is not sovereign over. No part of the universe. No part. God is sovereign over our salvation, over our walks with him. God is sovereign over our suffering, what you're going through. God is sovereign over our pain. God is sovereign over his church and the church's mission here on earth. That God is with us and God is for us. And there's nothing too big, whatever you're thinking of right now, or whatever that impossible situation is, there's nothing too big, too dark, too far out of reach for God. That is who our God is. There's no situation, no life that is too far gone, too impossible for God to reach. Imagine one day we find a planet that's, that's far away, that's finally uh, inhabitable, or habitable, which one is it? We can live on it. <laughs> Imagine we find that planet. God is already there. However far away, however many light years away, there's actually no place in the universe where God has not already won the battle. God is sovereign over all creation. And that's because, secondly, we read here, he's not only sovereign, but he created all things. That's why he's sovereign. That's why he rules justly and in a good way. Our God, he is creator God. He made everything. It's because of God's position as creator that allows him to be sovereign, to, for him to be a master over all the creation. He knows all things. He knows how everything works, how, how everything works. And if God is in control, and God is sovereign, if God is creator, and as in this passage we read, he's Lord over the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Then what do we have to fear? Then what do we have to fear? What's your situation? What's your impossible? Is God sovereign in your life? How is he sovereign in your life? How is he reaching out to you? Because our God, he is reaching out. He is speaking. He is in control. But the flip side to that question is this. Is God in control of all things in your life? Or are you in control of all things? That's the tension in our lives. That every single day we have to let go. 
And I know it's so difficult. You're saying, Doug, it's so hard to let go of control. I want to be in the driver's seat. I can sing Jesus, take the wheel, but for him to really take the wheel, that's really difficult. But I want to challenge us this morning that it's in the moment we let go of control in our life that we really begin to live. That we really begin to live. We really begin to experience the goodness of God. We really begin to experience the sovereignty of God. We really begin to experience God at work in our lives. That moment where we let go and we let God come into our lives, that's the moment that we truly live. And to show that God is really sovereign and that God is really creator, they quote Psalm 2 here. Uh, They quote Psalm 2. And you're thinking, what does that have to do with it? And maybe in Psalm 2, the psalmist here is referring back when it was written to Egypt and the other enemies of the day that were coming to take over God's people. Uh, like uh, other nations like Babylon that were come, uh, come in or Egypt that want to take over God's people. And here in this context, in Jesus' day, it's clear that the enemy that is referred to here is Herod and Pontius Pilate that end up crucifying Jesus. But the point is, is this, that why Psalm 2 is quoted. That the Gentiles and the people in general, they were against God and they were against his, as his Messiah. That they didn't believe that God had a plan and that Jesus was who he says he is. So Psalm 2 here helps us to see who the enemy of God's Messiah really is. And if we see that, we'll see that when we identify God's enemies, we'll see that here includes really all people, that all the nations, all people that do not follow this Jesus were against God. They didn't believe in this Jesus, and they wanted to crucify and to lead this Jesus to his death. And it's, what's fascinating is I'm going on this a little bit more, maybe that I should, but the psalm originally grew out of this crowning of a new king, this new king of Israel. And it was David at that time, maybe, this, this passage in Psalm 2, in a time of kings and queens, maybe it's different at our time now, but especially true in the Middle East, that when a new king was crowned or a new queen was crowned, uh, other rulers and lords of the land would come and they were required to submit to him or her and to say, I am under your rule, I'm under your sovereignty. But here in the psalm, it reads, and we read about some that refuse to do so. They refuse to submit themselves to this king uh, that's going to come. So here, why why is this quoted in the early church? In the same way, the early church that applied this to what happened to Jesus Christ. What happened to Christ, who is the Messiah? Even though God sent the Messiah, the one who's come to save, Herod and Pilate, the Romans, even some of the Jews at that time, they went against Jesus Christ to the point that he even crucified him and they killed him. And we read this in verse 27. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. So even though Herod and Pontius Pilate and the people of the city decided to do this, God, you are still sovereign. Verse 28, you are still in control. You still know what's going on. Nothing can stop God, even though everything seems to be hopeless, even though it seems like Jesus is, Jesus is on the cross and God is on the cross, God knows what's going on. God knows what's going on in your impossible too. And the sufferings that we go through, the pains that we go through, the confusion that we go through. Because here's the thing, though they tried to kill Jesus, God raised him from the dead. 
God raised them from the dead and enthroned them in heaven, and all of this was part of God's perfect plan. Some way, somehow, God was able to reverse the terrible situation and the pain and the suffering for our good, for our life, for us to experience goodness in relationship. And here is the important truth we need to hear this morning. If something as horrible and tragic as the cross, and as God was, and as the cross of what God experienced, what Jesus experienced on that cross, God was able to use that as part of his plan. What do we have to fear again? What do we have to fear? What can't God do in your life? What can't can God do in your life? Turning to God leads to fullness because God is the source of all power. And when we remember his character, remember his goodness in our times of suffering, in our times of pain, we receive that boldness. We receive that goodness. That gives us strength to face in that new day. So turning to God leads to boldness because turning to God reminds us of his character. But turning to God also leads us to boldness because we're reminded that God has a plan. Boldness came to the early church from leaning on God's plan. They trusted in his plan. They knew that God was the perfect architect and he knew what was going on. And the best thing for us as a community as a church here today, as a community of believers, is not to find our own way, not to discover new paths, but to lean into God's, to lean into His way, trust in Him. Proverbs 3, uh, 5 to 6, I'm not sure if I have it on there. Proverbs 3, 5 to 6 says this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to Him, and He will make your paths straight. In other words, it's not about what we want. It might not even be about what we desire because of our desires. We read this in scripture that hearts can be deceitful for all else. It's about us tuning in to the best that we can to God's plan. Or think of John 17, verse 12 to 14, where Jesus says, Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Every time I ask this passage, and I had a conversation this week about this passage with someone in our church, like, anything? God, you want me to ask anything, and you're going to give that to me? Well, here's the kicker in this passage. Why is it that the early church, and us included here, in 2022, we're able to ask God, he will do it. Why is that true? It's because their prayers are aligned with who God is and what he desires first. Their prayers came out of this desire to glorify God, to follow his plans, because their prayers were to glorify God. We want to do what's best for you, God. We want to follow you and your plan because you know the best things for my life. The safest place for us is in the Father's arms. It's for us to follow him and to trust him. And him. they didn't pray for God to do what they wanted him to do, but they prayed for what God wanted to do. And here's the truth. When we align ourselves with God, our lives are most aligned. When we align ourselves with God, our lives are most aligned. Those moments where you're living, you're like, I don't have all the answers. I'm still in this mess right now that I'm in, but I'm following God's will. I'm aligning myself to him. There's still that peace that transcends all understanding. That peace that transcends all understanding, that comes from us aligning ourselves with 
today. Now, it was a Super Bowl last week, and maybe some of you tuned in. And I always wonder, and sometimes they mic them up, I wonder what they say in heaven. Right? They come together, and they're like, you know, they're saying something. Uh, they're patting each other on the butt. What else are, are they saying? And I always wonder what they're saying. When they go into this huddle, they're, they're implementing implementing this plan, right? You, you, I don't play football, so you, you go in that way. You do an elbow pad, you know, you go all the way down as a ball, whatever, right? They're saying these things. And imagine, with me for a second, if they got into the huddle and they just cheered and they said, wow, what a great plan. That's a great plan. Someone should implement that plan. Someone should really do something about that plan. Let's cheer for this plan that we have. Let's cheer for this plan I have. No, that, that doesn't make any sense. They come together in this huddle in order to implement it, in order to live it out, in, in order for them to use that in the next play. It's the same for us here today. Every time we come together on Sundays, or in life groups, or in our fellowships, or whenever it is that we gather, it's not just to say, wow, what a good play, God. That's a really good play. You, someone should do something about it. God, you should, you know, yeah, that, you know, I applaud your play, God. <laughs> that is perfect on paper. No, God's saying, I want you to be a part of it. I'm showing you this plan. Yes, I am sovereign, and I am good, and I am in control. Yes, I am sovereign, but we also have the human responsibility to follow along in God's play. God's sovereignty doesn't destroy human responsibility. We become a part of it. We become a part of it. We're still accountable for our actions. We're called to take part. The church works best. We work best when we hold on to God's sovereignty and also understand our human responsibility to live out His will and to do what's best. And what's best is what God's saying in following Him and living out love in the city. And I love. I was in the back of the corporate prayer just to see the little, uh, the little huddles. Let's call that. Right, the little moments of us coming together and praying and seeking God's will. You're like, hey, what's going on in your life? What's going on in mine? Let's pray and let's turn to God for boldness in the situation and let's see what He's going to do through us. And I believe why we continue to pray corporately is it builds this humility in us to remind us that we are called to turn into the Master, the one that knows all things. That we might not have all the answers, but when we pray, we turn to God for boldness and His desire for you and for me for this community. So turning to God leads to boldness because he reminds us of his character. And also, when we turn to him for boldness, we're reminded that he has a plan. And third, returning to God leads to boldness because God gives us strength to glorify him. Boldness comes as a result of glorifying God. And when we want to glorify God, God will never say no to that because his name is at stake. See, when we play for something bigger, when the purpose of our life is for something greater beyond ourselves, it drives us and moves us a little bit deeper. The only time I've ever played the guitar in public, and I'm thankful for that, uh, was that one time only, was at our wedding, just, just at, our, at my wedding. Uh, that was the only time I ever played the guitar and sung, and not very well, uh, I have to admit. And my brother, he transcribed, transcribed that song uh, into chords of G, C, D, and A minor because if you play those four chords, you play apparently 90% of Christian songs. Uh, and that's why he taught me to play, transcribe that. And it wasn't perfect. I made mistakes, but I played the guitar and I sang the song that we prayed over our relationship. From day one that we met, and that meant something. 
for us. I wouldn't do that normally, but it was for something greater, for someone greater. It was my love for Jess that drove me to do certain, certain things that exceeded what I would normally do. And I could normally do. We read of the stories all over the world. Maybe you think of the two women who suddenly had the strength of walking down the street, who saw an eight-year-old get run over by a car, all of a sudden had the strength to lift that car off of that child. In those moments where something is greater at stake, we have we received the strength. Or you think of the Olympics, which is coming to an end. Sadly, I can't post it anymore on social media of the, of the games that I'm watching, where all of a sudden the athletes are able to outperform their previous best. When they, out, they blew out their previous personal best. Why? In that moment, for something greater, because they represented the country, they represented the people. In that moment, they rose to the, to, to the stage. And if it's true with these examples, how much more will it be with God and his glory when his kingdom's at stake, when that's what we seek and that's what we yearn for? Not only will wanting to give God glory drive us to do some amazing things, it's not about us summoning someone with more, more strength than ourselves, it's actually God empowering us. And he's like, if this is what you want to do, if this is what you want to do with your life, if this is where you want to be, then yes, I will be I will say yes to that. I will empower that. I will strengthen you. And we read that in Act, read this in Acts 4.29. Now, Lord, consider your threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. That was their desire and cry at the early church. So stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. The early church desired something greater than them. And they desired the glory of God. God gave them this boldness. God gave them the strength, this desire to do something more than they could possibly imagine themselves doing. When we live out our life's purpose and vision that is beyond ourselves, God gives us boldness. God helps us to rise up to that occasion where his glory is at stake. And I love this in this prayer here. This whole prayer, that they didn't ask for protection, but they asked for power. They didn't ask for protection, but they asked for power. They didn't ask for fire from heaven to wipe out the enemy, but they asked for power from heaven to preach the word and to proclaim the word, to, 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 to proclaim Jesus. They prayed for the hand of God to act and work, not for the hand of man to work. Not God, glorify my plan, but God, glorify your plan. You do what only you can do. And this prayer for God to give the community boldness to speak word, this word for boldness comes up again in later verses. We see how turning to God leads to boldness. And I love this, that in God's community, though he is God, though he is sovereign, though he is creator, though we are his servants, we are loved beyond imagining. We are loved beyond imagining. That community, even though we serve God, and God is master and creator and Lord over the universe, we can come to him freely. I love that. We can come to him freely and address God and make requests up to him. I think of Ephesians 3.12, in him and through him, and, and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. Or Hebrews 4.16, let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive grace and find grace to help us in our time of need. Our God wants us to approach him. He has made a way through Jesus for us to come to him, to bring our requests, to bring our desires even, to bring our brokenness, our pain, and our suffering, all of us, 
to him. And they prayed in this way and wanted God to be present in their lives. And it was ultimately his day. It was his day that gave him power to minister the word, to proclaim the word, to perform miracles. Therefore, it is his day that deserves all the glory because it is God who is powering us. It's God who is calling us. Like this quote, the glory of God, not the needs of men, is the highest purpose of answered prayer. The glory of God, not the needs of men, is the highest purpose of answered prayer. So as we come to God, why are we praying what we're praying? Where is our heart? What do we seek from Him? Is it for our own glory or is it for God's glory? Is it to fulfill God's plan and wishes? Or is it to ultimately fulfill God's glory? Because when it is for God's glory, look at what happens in verse 29 through 31. We see here, I don't have it up there, but we see here that the place where they pray begins to shake. We see that all of them are filled with the Spirit. We see that they speak words of boldness. They're filled with the Spirit and empowered and enabled, and they go off to fulfill the mission. This leads to the community experiencing great power and great grace in verses 33. But this leads to great acts of love later on next week, which is where the passage I'm about right now. Great acts of generosity, great acts of love in their city. Turning to God leads to boldness. I want to share another personal story to end off with this morning. That from this experience, the community members and their leaders, as they lived up in this way, as they obeyed God and proclaimed the name of Jesus, they experienced God in fresh ways, in new ways. They weren't silent about God anymore. They prayed all the time as an expression and with each other as an expression of unity. They united one voice before one God. They sought to do the one thing that God called them to do, which is to serve people, to serve Him, and to love each other. They focused on accomplishing the key mission, which is to share the name of Jesus. So for you, what acts of step and what acts and steps of boldness do you need to take? Where is God leading you? Who do you need to talk to? What's, what do you need to do next? Who is God calling you to have this conversation with? Which relationship is he calling you to bed? What impossible situation is he calling you to have faith and trust and to lean on in him? Because the spiritual boldness that we're talking about today is not about summoning more strength because we've all been there and we've tried that and it doesn't work. So the spiritual boldness is found at the cross of Jesus Christ. The spiritual boldness is found at the cross of Jesus Christ. And this personal story I want to share is for me, and for a few of us here in the congregation, there's a friend of ours that we've known for over 25 years. And a few weeks ago, he was snowboarding and he collapsed. All of a sudden, we thought that he had an accident. But, but when the paramedics came and we went to the hospital, they looked around. He's like, there's no physical, uh, there's, no, there's nothing physically wrong with him on the outside. There wasn't any bruises or cuts. They ended up find, finding out that he had a bleed in his brain uh, at 36, 35, 36 having a stroke at that time, he just collapsed. He was sent to Lionsgate, where he was in ICU, and then in a few days he was transferred to BGH for brain surgery. And it's, this shook the core of our friends. These guys that are all around the same age that we grew up with through elementary and high school, been through so much together, so where many of them aren't Christian. 
don't share the same faith that we have that drove us to this point. Where we, we understood, all of us, Christian or not, understood that it wasn't under our own strength that we could do anything with them. It drove us to this point. So something I believe miraculous happened last week that a group of us guys, or one of our friends invited us over to help clean uh, clean up his place because he was in the ICU in the hospital that we're cleaning. And after that, a group of us, around 10 of us guys that never prayed with one another, were in the living room praying. Christians and God together, seeing at that moment, we don't know what else we can do but pray. And I remember going up to that point, as a bunch of us Christian guys were there, is this the moment to do this? Is this the moment to save this? With this passage in the back of my mind, talking about spiritual boldness, what it means to turn to Jesus. That was my impossible situation where I'm like, there's no way that a group of us Christian guys, not Christians and not Christians tell me get together to pray. In 25 years' time, never would I have thought that would happen. And I don't know, it was due to the prayer now, but the next day that he became conscious, the very next day, he still had a long rehab ahead. He's responding at least with thumbs up. He could hear and understand. Long road ahead is still intubated and he's still sedated once in a while to ease the pain. But prayer is us turning to God for the possible situation. And prayer is returning to God that leads to this boldness that comes from nowhere else but God. Let's pray, Father. At this moment, we just want to turn to you. We want to turn to you with our impossible situation. We want to turn to you with what it is that we're going through. And we want to say, God, we acknowledge that you are sovereign, that you are creator, and that you are good. We want to align ourselves with you again. So, Father, at this moment, we just want to say yes to you. That where you are is the best place to be. So, God, we might not know what that means at this moment. We pray, Lord, that you speak into our lives. Give us strength. Give us boldness. Give us a hope like no other. In Jesus' name we pray.